Welcome to Stray Theater, Radio Boyce's program for all things literary, performative, and dramatic going on right here in the Treasure Valley. Today on Stray Theater, we feature slam poet G. Yamazawa from Storyfort 2017. Enjoy. Second generation Japanese American and Durham, North Carolina native. G. Yamazawa is widely considered one of the top young spoken word artists in the country, a national poetry slam champion, team backpack finalist, and Kundiman fellow. G's work has been featured at the Sundance Film Festival, TV's One Verse and Flow, and the Pentagon. He has toured over 150 universities across the country, including Princeton, the University of Guam, NYU Abu Dhabi, and also has extensive experience as a teaching artist facilitating writing performance workshops for underserved youth in marginalized communities. She currently lives in Los Angeles and is the kindest, most wonderful person I know. Please welcome to the stage, Giamatai. count of three, I need you to make as much noise as you possibly can. Ready? One, two, y'all like. <laughs> One, two, three. <laughs> when I say spoken, y'all say word spoken. Word spoken. Word spoken. So in the last four years, I've grown from four walls into a home from a rocking chair into a throne, from a phrase into a poem, learn how to spit from the pit of my jaw bones. I ain't got much taller, but growth I've damn shown. See, in the last four years of my life, I've learned how to write, and I've learned how to shed my light despite the darkness of the night. Learned how to grip my pen like a prison bar and pry myself free like I got Mandela inside of me, but I also learned there's devils inside of me and there's a heaven that I gotta see. I, I gotta keep pushing even when it seems like that heaven is out of reach. See, I learned how to believe in me and the things that I can't see. See, I learned how to love and I learned how to hate a little less learned how to depend on cigarettes more than my own father and I learned that a brother ain't gotta come from the same mother and I learned that a man ain't defined by no age and no numbers see I learned how to sweat when I pray and bleed when I write learned how to rip the seams off a mic and lose my voice trying to gain my freedom even learn how to sing even though I can't sing even <laughs> even learn how to move my soul and do my dance while I grew my hair and learn how to go super saiyan learn that a man can still smile like a kid learn the only cage that I'm in is made of my ribs learn to appreciate them days back when I was troublesome and I learned the difference between writing a poem and becoming one cuz see I grown from a poet into an artist into an archer aiming arrows at my target grow my own food and be living off my harvest but see the seasons are changing so my poems are too but I'm liking the direction I think I'm starting to rhyme more cuz I want my life to start connecting cuz see I've learned how to learn so now I'm learning how to teach cuz I done learned how to practice whatever I preach but I grew from a grain into a beach and I knew for the game I'm playing for keeps so whatever I say I say what I mean so whenever I speak I'm able to reach a place that bleeds and a place that burns and a place that knows I got a lot more to learn boys how y'all feeling this <laughs> Yamazawa. Uh, my real name is George. <laughs> really underwhelming name. Uh, uh, born and raised in Durham, North Carolina, where I'm a North Carolinian. Does that make some noise, man? Oh, shit. Sure. <laughs> just like, yeah, man, yeah, let's talk later. Um, I'm also uh, Asian. Where am I? Asian? Does that make some noise? No! That was hype, though, man. Oh, shit. Hell yeah, son. 
I love, you know, I ask that in a room full of no Asian people all the time. You know, I'll tour in the South. I'll be like, where are all my Asians that make some noise? And there's always one white dude in the back. He's like, woo! I'm like, you're not Asian, bro. Um, but it's good. I love speaking about race very explicitly. Uh, it's been great. I actually, um, my girlfriend's here. Beautiful girlfriend. Y'all clap it up for Chris. We actually came from Spokane and so drove down through the mountains, really, really beautiful drive. And you know, we were looking around, I was like, man, there are no black people out here. <laughs> no, there's also no Asian people here, and definitely not together, you know what I'm saying? So we've been enjoying the attention. Um, and, uh, and I actually love being in like predominantly white places because I was in Hawaii a while ago for the first time. And uh, you know, it's interesting when they say the features G Yamazawa. Is so many Asian people in Hawaii that you, like I walk in the room and nobody knows who it is, you know? Like it could be you, it could be you, but when I'm in Boise, you know what I'm saying? And they're like, yeah, Giamazawa. All y'all was looking at me like, it's definitely that. <laughs> it's gotta be him. Um, but uh, make some noise if y'all like poetry. Y'all like poetry? Yeah. Yeah. Um, raise your hand if you've been to a live poetry show before. Y'all culture in here? Sure. <laughs> um, so in North Carolina, we like to say that you know poetry is not like golf, right? So it means you ain't gotta be all quiet during much time. Wait to the very end to be like. <laughs> so if you hear something you like, feel free to make as much noise during the poem as possible for it. It's a very interactive art form and it should feel like a conversation. You know, so the more energy you give to me, the more I'm able to reciprocate back to y'all. Cool. I see some of y'all like like the line you thought it was dope in the last poem, you know, and you was like. Yeah. <laughs> you can make as much noise as you want, right? Um, so uh, all I ask is that you be in the moment, right? Just be here. Um, if you feel like laughing, burst into laughter. If you feel like crying, feel free to be vulnerable enough to, to cry and, and shed a tear in an open public space. Uh, I think vulnerability is, is necessary for us. It's one of our most powerful characteristics, um, and it's also necessary for us to be able to emotionally evolve. Damn, it's got real deep just now, right? So if you hear a line you like and something is dope, you can snap to it. Let me hear y'all snap real quick, snap it up. Beautiful, 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 yeah. Usually there's like a two to three snap average for like a dope line, you know what I'm saying? Uh, if, if, something's, if something's hella dope, I just don't want to like, uh, But you can clap as much as you want at the end of the poem, right? If something really moves you deep down, it's a little more deep and heavy, you could be like, mm. Try that. I feel like I said something hella deep just now, but I didn't. Uh, if something really moves you, you could be like, ooh, try that. Ooh. Or ah. Ah. No, I'm just fucked up. If y'all ready for some poetry, say yeah. Yeah. This next poem is dedicated to my upbringing in North Carolina as an Asian American. Uh, this poem also aired on TV One's Verses of Flow. Can y'all clap it up for Asian people on TV one time? Drum roll, drum roll, drum roll. <laughs> Ten things you should know about being an Asian from the South. <laughs> One, after growing up with teriyaki chicken and fried chicken on the same dinner table for 20 years, what is your favorite food? <laughs> it will become a real difficult question to answer. <laughs> Two, when you smile, they'll try to ridicule your eyes for being smaller than usual. Remind yourself it's only because America has a tendency of wanting to see through you. Three, when you forget where you're from, you will truly become American. Four, when they speak of black folk and white folk, do not take sides. <laughs> a wolf will become friends with a sheep as long as its kindness leads to something it can dig its teeth into. Five, they're trying to call you all kind of things like 
Bruce Lee, Jet Li, Jack Chan, Chrissy Yamaguchi, and Hong Kong Fui. Laugh along with their ignorance, it'll give you strength. Remind yourself that when you were a little boy, even being deemed as powerful of a man as Bruce Lee still made you feel weak and helpless. Six. I never really liked list poems like this, but I figured it'd be fitting since Asians are supposed to be good with numbers. <laughs> Seven. Don't get mad at innocent ignorance because some just playing funny. See, one day a classmate asked me what I was, and when I told her I was Japanese, she was like, oh, I thought you was Asian. <laughs> Eight. When they call you Chinese, correct them. Nine. Upon correcting them, tell them your full name and your native dialect. Remind them of your parents' birthplace. Remind them of Hiroshima and Nagasaki until the conversation feels nuclear. Remind them of your ancestors who danced with sword until their choreography was lethal. Then remind yourself that you are only reminding yourself, because after your entire conversation, you will still be Chinese to them. Ten. Find time to search inside. You see, a smile won't shine unless you wear it with pride. See, I remember every time I would laugh, I would cover my eyes. But now, I realize that I have nothing to hide. See, I like my chicken teriyaki or fried. I like my fried rice with hot sauce on the side. This is all the ridicules and racists as a child. And this is dedicated to all the Asians from the South. But there were plenty of things I had to sacrifice, too. I used to sell half pounds to half of my school. But I ain't swagger jacket. I won't rap like you, because, dog, I'm Asian. I eat cats like you. <laughs> identity and like my grandma, <laughs> dog, I'm Asian, I eat cats like you, it's the greatest I've ever read in my life. <laughs> I swear, I, I, I stood out of high school in Southeast DC, we used to do poetry recruitment in like the cafeterias and stuff, and in high school and I was like on top of a lunchroom table and I was like, dog, I eat cats like you, and the whole joint was like, ah! <laughs> it was flipping chairs and shit. <laughs> I see one like one old lady's head just Also one of the easiest lines I ever wrote, you know, I was just freestyling in my pickup truck, you know, I used to deliver pizzas. <laughs> so I was like, deliver pizzas, freestyle, I was like, man, I ain't trying to rap like you, because dog, I'm Asian. I eat cats like, I was like, ooh, let me write this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I did feel like, you know, it was racist for a while. I, I felt like I was single-handedly, like, perpetuating the stereotype. <laughs> I thought audiences full were leaving, like, man, that guy eats cats, you know? Because <laughs> when I was in Hawaii that one time, you know, it was like, 400 people, right? And they, they were all Asian. And I had never performed in front of an all Asian crowd. You know, just growing up in the South is very rare. And I was like, I was excited, you know? I was like, man, these are my people, you know? I'm about to kill this. And I went up there and I was like, dog, I'm Asian, I eat cats like you. And they looked at me like, what? <laughs> looking around at each other and like, they were dead silent and it was kind of a traumatic experience for me. You know? uh, but since then I realized it's not racist as much as it is like having a response and sort of owning that language, right? So I grew up getting picked on and feeling so different and uh, you know, many times you sort of, you, you run into experiences and things where you don't even know what to say. Remember that Dave Chappelle skit where he was like, if you ever came across something so racist, you're just like, wow, <laughs> that was racist, you know? Um, and I think at, the more experiences like that you have in your life, the more you mature, you're able to sort of build this capacity to be able to compassionately, compassionately sort of deal with these, these issues. And I finally had this response, but I also had this weird moment where, you know, I, I performed that poem on national television, and so I was at the airport one day, and this dude came up to me, and he's like, yo, you, you the guy that was on First and Foot? You did that poem, right? And I was like kind of feeling myself, you know, I was like, yeah, bro, you know. <laughs> he was like, I eat cats like you. And I was like, no. I wasn't ready. <laughs> Just have a good time, say, yeah. yeah.
anybody who worked with kids, like little ones and stuff? I had a, uh, I had a, I was an after school teacher for kindergarten through fifth grade when I lived in DC. It was like one of the dopest jobs I ever had. Um, and you know how like kids, kids are like, you know, they're like, they're little people, you know? And they'll have these like grown up tendencies. And that's what's really funny. And so uh, my homie Anthony is a second grader. He was in the bathroom, you know, he's in the bathroom. He's, he's washing his hands up and he's like, uh, Mr. G, you know the school is haunted, right? And I was like, no, it's not, Anthony. He's like, yes, it is. He's like, look, and there's this metal panel on the wall. It's like cracked open, like where wiring goes or whatever. He's like, look. And I scared him, <laughs> which I probably shouldn't have been doing as a supervisor, you know, but uh, he takes three steps back and puts his hand on his, his chest like this, and then he puts his other hand on his forehead like this, <laughs> and he's like, Whoop. you got me, dog. <laughs> I was like, why are you so grown, man? Um, and, uh, and my nephew, my nephew's two and a half, any of y'all got nieces or nephews, you see, see grow up, you know, um, from zero to one. From one to two, and then they start they start crawling, and then they're like walking, and they're talking, and they're like gaining this consciousness of the world, and it's this really beautiful process to see. Uh, and my you know my nephew's two and a half. His name's Oliver. He uh, sucks his thumb and picks his nose at the same time. <laughs> beautiful multitasking. Um, and my homegirl's niece, her name's Megan. She's three and a half, and she's like this tall. She was like one day she was like, Uncle George, Uncle George, that's the same hat you wore at graduation last week. And I was like, oh, Megan, that's amazing, you remember. I'm like, yes, this is the same hat. You're awesome. And she was like, yeah, I have memories. <laughs> and I was like, you do have memories. I didn't even realize you could think, you know? <laughs> right under your nose, and you don't even believe it. And, uh, and then they end up saying, that reminds you there are three, you know? I was like, hey, Megan, you want something about the CBS while I'm in there? And she was like, hmm. <laughs> a unicorn! <laughs> I was like, yeah, you're still three. Uh, but when I was a little boy, right, I was um, an energetic, fun-loving, creative, hard-headed, badass little kid with a mushroom cut. <laughs> teachers used to say my behavior was like my last name. Unforgettable. When I was around the age of a rascal, I remember holding my imaginary bat, hitting an imaginary home run, and running around imaginary bases in our neighbor's real-life garden. There was nothing imaginary about that. <laughs> and now that I'm an adult, my parents love laughing about how my kid is going to be ten times worse than I could ever imagine. See, they named me George Yamazawa Jr. And when speaking about the future, they like to mention the possibility of my son being George Yamazawa III. But honestly, I always hated the name. George. It reminds me of some old dead white guy. Being a young, alive Asian boy, it was hard for me to make the connection. See, I realized my first name didn't match my background before I knew how to spell assimilation. Now I'm smart enough to know that my parents had to dumb down our identity so our family could fit into an American straitjacket society, choosing all the names that are latest in fashion. How about George or Jennifer or Emily and George Jr. for the little one? How about we take the Hitoshi, Mayumi, Yumiko, Masao and hide them in the middle of your name to make it harder for the people to find? So on countless occasions, I've introduced myself as George and people would say like, what's your real name though? Wait, 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 aren't you Asian, man? That don't sound very ethnic. You don't look like a George. That's because my name wasn't given to me. It was given to the rest of the country. 
My parents just wanted to give me a gift without ungrateful tongues, like childish hands ripping apart the pronunciation. The same way karaoke, karate, and futon were thrown into stocking stuffers and came out looking like karaoke, karate, and futon. See, in Japan, your last name comes first. There's an emphasis on family, but in America, your nickname comes first because there's an emphasis on accessibility. So now, I go by G, but when I have my own little rascals, I'm gonna name them something special. Something to make their skin a little thicker than mine was. Something to make people stumble on and guilt trip over. Something to remind his classmates of the last samurai instead of the first president. Something powerful, something real, real ethnic, boy. Something unforgettable. Y'all like how I was like talking about kids and hit you with the cultural identity, you know? Um, you're listening to slam poet G. Yamazawa from Storyfort 2017. This is Stray Theater. We'll be right back. Radio Boise is supported in part by Kerbit Boise, reminding you that the new compost carts are on the way in time for summer yard work. Your cart can be used immediately for unlimited weekly collection of compostable material. You can find out when your cart arrives at kerbitboise.org. Radio Boise is sponsored in part by Cinder Wines, crafting award-winning wines from Idaho's Snake River Valley. Cinder's Tasting Room and Winery are open daily from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. on 44th Street in Garden City, close to downtown Boise. Find more information at cinderwines.com. It's a secret. 
<laughs> I'm like, why don't you call me that, man? Like, what, are you, what are you talking about, Dad? And my dad's like, Joji, today I get the iPhone. <laughs> uh, but he's very old school. He loves using his hands. He's not a technologically sort of technological dude. Uh, he loves growing things. He's got fruits and vegetables in the backyard. I imagine Boise and Idaho is a very agriculturally sound place. He was really good. Uh, and, uh, my dad's got uh, chickens in the backyard, which is really dope. Uh, he built a chicken coop out of bamboo. Wow. This is the most age I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> uh, and you know, it was wild, wild than that. My dad, a while ago, he started growing rice. And I was like, whoa, that's the most age I've seen. You really outdone yourself this time, dad. You know? And uh, my dad was like, George, 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 All of North Carolina. I'm the only one growing rice. <laughs> I was like, Dad, man, what are you talking about, man? We went to the dude's house. He had rice at his hand. He showed you how to do it, man. And my dad was like, only two. Only one. This is my dad. He's hilarious. Uh, but really, my dad, you know, he's a, he's a quiet man, and uh, he appreciates the silence. Whenever I speak to him in English, he always returns the foreign favor. You see, for him, speaking Japanese is like a walk in the park. I imagine speaking English is like climbing a barbed wire fence. See, my father's accent is bumpy, like the conversation between airplane tires and American concrete that welcomed his arrival to the United States. His pronunciation has trouble landing. His tongue knows turbulence. See, my father is a chef. He'll add extra syllables to his sentences like seasoning, something that it tastes better in his mouth. If I ever complain about hunger, he'll tell me to go get the cheese baga at the baga king. <laughs> my father's accent can be an because my father's accent ain't smooth like my birth certificate. It's the rough edges around my family's grave. It's the crease that creates the wings on a paper crane. See, my father's accent is like a hole in a Japanese internment camp fence. It's an escape route to his culture. His accent is thick, and his words stick together like the vinegar rice on his working hands. He spent more time cooking for people than working on his speech because he knew standard English wasn't going to feed his children. The recipe is his way of talking to Americans. It's how people understand what his heart is trying to say. You see, the accent, the accent is the mark of an immigrant. It's a ruler with mile-long increments that measures the distance away from home. See, maybe Asians are known to be good at math because that's the only homework our parents can help us with. Or maybe I'm being defensive because I'm afraid that my rusty Japanese is a broken chain link that can't hold my lineage together. I'm afraid of passing down my lack of language to my children and their grandpa's accent will sound more foreigner than family. I am selfish, writing poems and poems and poems about Japan when my name is the only word I know how to write in Japanese. Um, how y'all doing after tonight? So uh, for me, so identity, we were talking about this on the panel and sort of like our social responsibility and things and, and sort of what inspires what we write about. And I think for me, identity just kind of always naturally been a theme in my work and just in my life. Growing up so different, like Asian in the South, of course, but also, you know, growing up uh, Buddhist in the Bible Belt. Uh, yeah. It was a very interesting dynamic. Uh, and I remember real vividly being in elementary school, like maybe second grade or something. My, my, you know, I told my homies I was Buddhist. 
They were like, what? You're going to hell. And I was like, what's up, man? I was like, how is it that this, this beautiful practice that my father has taught me, this father that I love, that, that I think is a very noble person, has taught me, why is it that these beliefs um, don't rock with you? Why is it that you believe that something bad is going to happen to me based on just who I am? Um, and I think sort of these questions sort of coming into your, our lives, and I think now, especially with everything going on with our political climate and everything, everyone's sort of wondering, you know, re-asking ourselves, what does it really mean to be American, to share this American experience? Uh, and what does it, even more deeply, what does it mean to be human? Like, what does it mean for us to be gifted with breath uh, based on this sort of karmic circumstance that we were all born into? Um, and I think for me, uh, I, I, never I never understood, or it wasn't until high school that I began to sort of build a, a more social political um, you know, definition of, of my racial identity. And we read this book called West of Kabul, East of New York, which is about an Afghani writer who immigrated here when he was 10. And this is pre-9-11, so before Islamophobia became a huge mainstream rhetoric. Uh, and in the, in the book, one of the lines that always struck me just immediately was that uh, growing up bicultural in America is like straddling a crack in the earth. Right? And many times you don't know what side of that earth you belong on. And for me, I didn't know if I was Japanese enough to be Japanese or American enough to be American. Uh, sort of caught in this weird limbo, this sort of identity crisis at a young age. Um, and I think what I've learned, though, is that you know, no matter how small you know our definition is for many minority groups, it can it can also be a very whole definition. Um, and I don't know if y'all remember when the, when nine eleven happened, there were these commercials that came out, and there was like a bunch of like different diverse people on screen, and they were like, "I'm American, I'm American, I am American." And there was this one old Asian dude that looked just like my dad, and like weeks after, my dad would just randomly walk around the house and be like, I am American. <laughs> and it was hilarious, you know, like, um, and I think that's one of those, those things of like how whole that definition can feel, even if it's just the four of us in our very small family. Um, and I love the sort of opportunity that America has to be able to translate ideas um, culturally and generationally. Uh, and so, you know, my, my parents own a Japanese restaurant. They've owned one for about 30 years now, which is really, it's like a dynasty in restaurants years, um, no pun intended, and, um, you know, and uh, they actually won Restaurant of the Year award last year, which was really dope. Yeah, that, that, that. And, uh, so we're, uh, we're in the kitchen at home, and my, my mom, we're making, we're making dinner, it's me, my mom, my dad, and my grandma, my mom, my dad, my grandma, it's four of us, and uh, my mom had just bought this little iPod dock to play music in the restaurant, you know how ethnic restaurants play ethnic music. So I put my, my iPhone on the dock and I started playing Big Crit. I don't know if any of y'all know who Crit is. If you don't, he's just a real southern rapper. And this particular song was called Country, you know, just to give you an idea of what's happening. And I put it on and I just started dancing in the kitchen, right? I'm like bopping around. And my mom's like, turn it down, turn it down, turn it down. And I'm like, turn it up all the way. And I'm like, ah. And next thing you know, my grandma turns the corner and she's like, And I had never seen this move in my life. So. And, uh, and he actually always hated rap, so his impression of rap was always like, ooga, 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 ooga. So he's ooga, ooga. And I'm like, Creating the kids like my family in a nutshell, you know? Uh -huh.
Music is Little Lily Swing by Tritachion. This has been another episode of Stray Theater. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>